Welcome to Uncommon Sense, a podcast fostering real conversations about money. This podcast is designed specifically for eager investors who want to get real about money, investing, and winning at their dreams. I'm Jennifer Foster, your host, former administrative assistant turned investment strategy coach. With nearly 20 years in the financial services industry, I've witnessed firsthand what's worked and sadly, what didn't. I'll go backstage each Wednesday, sometimes with friends, to have real honest conversations about one of the most important and taboo topics, money. My goal is to give you down-to-earth episodes filled with uncommon sense so that you have an opportunity to discover something new. Be at the edge of your seat as we unleash the possibilities transforming our thinking and actions so that we can gain confidence and win at our personal financial journey. So let's begin our journey together. Welcome to today's episode of Uncommon Sense. Today we're going to continue our conversation about stock picking in all of its forms. So if you haven't heard our previous episodes, then I encourage you to go back because one of the claims that we make here at Smart Plan Investing is that stock picking in all of its forms is destructive behavior. And oftentimes I think that investors don't really get in all its forms. So in the podcast series on stock picking, I've been diving into different ways in which investors can do stock picking. So today we're going to talk about legacy investing, employer stock investing, and capital gains because these kind of go together. So when we talk about legacy investing, a lot of times I see investors who either they inherited a stock, maybe from a grandparent They've had it since they were a child, and so they have this story around it that it means a lot to them, or maybe, you know, I was just recently talking to a client, she's just the sweetest thing, and she's so, you know, excited about the fact that she didn't know anything about investing, but she made investments um, in and always try to set herself up for retirement. And so there was a few stocks that she was still holding on to because they had the, she has the story about it. It meant something to her, you know? Unfortunately, one of those stocks had a zero balance when we went to move it. And that is one of the cautionary tales about doing the stock picking and why, you know, the whole thing about the legacy, whether it is something you bought and you've held on to for a long time, or if it's something you inherited or was gifted to you or something like that. My coach always says, a good story does not make a good investment <laughs> or something along those lines, which, you know, and that it, it could have been a good investment. It could have got you to this point, but it is still stock picking and there still are dangers when we look at individually stock picking. So, same thing can be true of having employer stock. So maybe you're given employer stock options, which might not be a bad option for you um, when you're employed, but you want to also be careful because there is a cautionary tale when you just look back at Enron. Many people had Enron stock and you know many people lost not only their job, but their retirement if they were you know holding that stock all in a matter of a day. So 
if you have an employer stock and you're no longer employee employed there, then it may be advantageous for you to look at how you can take those assets and diversify your risk rather than relying that that stock is going to continue to do well into the future. While some companies, whether it's an energy company or grocery companies that may be dominant in your area, you know, you think about, um, you know, just locally, we have energy companies, we have grocery stores that have, um, you know, dominated in our specific area in the South Florida area, or maybe even in Florida. But what other groceries or what other energy companies that are, you know, servicing broader areas, you know, maybe even all across the US, or even just larger areas than Florida. So the other thing I think about when we're looking at, and I'm just going to use energy and groceries as an example in this conversation, because, you know, there's so much competition now in the, let's just say, grocery industry these days, um, where it may have made sense that this dominant um, company in the South Florida region or even in the Florida region. But now we're seeing so many companies that are going more um, natural. Um, you know, there's Whole Foods these days, there's Trader Joe's, there's all these and all these new companies um, that are creating competition. Um, and then you have to wonder, like, will this company that I've been holding on to because they've been large, they've been around for a while, they have a good reputation, um, and I work here, is this a good investment? Should I hold on to this investment? And some things that we want to consider, you know, just looking back, I grew up in South Florida and Albertsons was a huge grocery store back in the day. And I just remember one by one them disappearing. And I, I don't even... There's, as far as I can remember, there's no Albertsons in Jupiter anymore. I don't even know, and I probably could do some research here for you, um, if Albertsons even exists today. Um, but I definitely haven't seen an Albertsons in my area. But there are other grocery stores. Um, there's the one specific I'm not going to mention by name. Um, if you live in the Jupiter area, you can pretty much guess which one I'm speaking of. It's, you know, multiple of them. I think I counted between Jupiter and Tequesta something like 11 to 14 of these grocery stores just in my immediate area. And I'm not even, you know, counting Palm Beach Gardens and, and all that. So that used to be, you know, for me, that was Albertsons back in the day. That was the one that was the more dominant uh, grocery store. Winn-Dixie was a pretty dominant um, grocery store probably one of the first franchise grocery stores in Jupiter that I can remember. Growing up in Jupiter, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Indian Town Road, but right across the street from Wendy's is Big Dollar Plaza. And right now there is a thrift store in there. But that used to be my grocery store. So <laughs> it was called Big Dollar. And we knew the owners. And I used to go there all the time. And even growing up, we used to do dog washes behind Big Dollar on the weekends to raise money for the North County Humane Society, which my godmother had started here in the Jupiter, they called it the Greater Jupiter Tequesta area back then. And so it was like a very small hometown feeling. Um, even just up the road, um, if you're familiar with Indian Town Road, right there at Loxahatchee R River, where the school crossing is, there was a pharmacy there. Um, 
we used to walk in there and, you know, do our little shopping. I remember if it was my parents' like birthday or something, I remember going there and getting little things at the store. Um, there was another little convenience store across the street. I remember I was really big into Mountain Dew. I loved Mountain Dew back in the day. Uh, they used to be in glass bottles. This is just a funny story, just a side note. But I remember one day getting, finally getting my Mountain Dew because I didn't get them every day and I'm running across the street with the crossing guard and my bottle Mountain Dew drops on the ground on the concrete and just asphalt really and just bust open. And uh, I don't know, I think it broke my heart so much that after that I stopped drinking Mountain Dew, which is kind of ironic and weird but anyways it was like this small hometown feel and I remember when when Dixie moved in to this plaza that was on the um let's see it's on the east side of the railroad tracks and now there's a TJ Maxx there and all that um shoe carnival and all that in that area but that's where when Dixie was and so that was the very first chain grocery store that I can even recall being in Jupiter. And now I think we only have one. Actually, we I don't think we have any Winn-Dixies now in Jupiter anymore. They It's been sold. I think there's a Planet Fitness in one of them. There's an Aldi in the other one. So these, you know, with grocery stores, it does change. So if you're holding on to this stock because you worked there or you had worked there, you know, it's it's a very high probability that one day that company is not going to be in existence anymore because companies are like people, right? They're birthed, they're created, they grow up, they go from small to large sometimes. Um, Sometimes they stay small, um, just like people. Some people stay small. Um, And then companies die and uh, we as people die. So it's a cautionary tale. I love to use that word because it's that's all this is this isn't this is all I'm telling you this is just a cautionary tale of why stock picking can be so destructive and if you have an option to diversify and to minimize your risk why wouldn't you take it you know like I said um and you can talk to a team member at our office his father worked for Enron so he is you know, one of the people that experienced losing their job and losing their company stock all in one day. Um, Fortunately, he made better investments um, outside of just company stock and he was able to rebuild and, and all that. But that's not always the case for some people. Another thing that I find with people um, or investors, let's call you investors, not just people, right? Um, when it comes to having this legacy stock or an employer stock, you know, and you have this attachment to it. But one of the other things that we find is that people are concerned about paying capital gains. And we've talked about it in the podcast when we talked about um, dividend paying stocks. So with dividend paying stocks, one of the things uh, people are touting is to get these stocks with these great dividends. And then in that episode, I talk about the difference in taxes between capital gains and that which the rates that we pay for dividends or interest. So uh, 
oftentimes when we have a client who isn't in a retirement plan, because you can roll over a retirement plan and there's no tax impact. But if you have money outside of a retirement plan, which would be a brokerage account or trust, or they would just call it an investment account, right? Then if you go to diversify it, then the company's going to have to sell whatever investments you have to reinvest it. Um, there are ways that we are able to minimize those impacts. However, there can be some capital gains. But as a reminder, if you didn't, or if you did listen to that episode, or if you hadn't, I'm just going to let you know right now that the conversation is around how dividends are taxed, which are taxed at ordinary income tax rates. So if you're in a 35% tax rate, then you're paying 35% on those dividends. And then we have what are favorable capital gains rates. Now, it depends on your income and all that, but oftentimes the capital gains rate can be less than what you're paying in dividends. So we want our earnings more in most cases or in some cases to be coming from our capital gains rather than coming our income coming from our dividends. Um, Although we're not going to say, oh, I don't want dividend-paying stocks because I might pay more in taxes, because if you're earning something, I'd rather earn something and pay something on it than none at all. But if I have the option to pay less taxes, then I want to choose that. So while, um, you know, if you have a legacy stock or employer stock and you have this concern about paying capital gains, you know, there are strategies, whether you divvy it up and you take, you know, sell some stock in this year, some stock next year to, you know, not have such a high Um, impact in a one tax year. But there are other things that we can consider of how to help you to still get diversified and not have as much of an impact. But it's understanding that, you know, sometimes it takes looking at the bigger picture. Would you rather pay, let's just say 15, 20, 30% on your gains or on your dividends? Or would you rather take the risk of losing all of your money altogether? If you're asking me, I would much rather pay tax on money that I've earned rather than taking the risk of it just disappearing. Like I said, I was working with a client just a week ago and we were moving uh, you know, some of these stocks that she had that she had been holding on to. And when we looked at the statement, one of them, it had a zero balance because the company no longer existed. And that is really a real situation that we can face. And so you know, when we talk about stock picking in all its forms is destructive behavior, we're not saying that every time you stock pick, your result is going to be destructive. What we're saying is that the behavior is destructive. It's like, you know, I use the example all the time. I probably sound like a broken record. If you've listened to me for any time, you've heard this analogy. If you go to the bar every day after work and you drink one too many drinks and you drive home and you get home safe, is that destructive behavior? Okay, well, say this time you drive home, you have one too many drinks, and now you hit a van and there's a family inside and everybody dies. Is that destructive behavior? What we want to be careful is that we're not confusing behavior with results. Just because you get home every day fine and didn't kill anyone didn't mean that the behavior was any less destructive. It just means now that you did hit somebody and now there is a consequence, now you feel the impact of it. But the behavior has always been destructive. The same thing I believe to be true when it comes to individually stock 
picking. Now you might say, I don't stock pick. Well, if you're working with a financial advisor and you have mutual funds or ETFs, they very well, whoever is managing, and it doesn't, it's not necessarily your advisor because mutual funds have different money managers who are choosing those stocks that go into those mutual funds, right? They're choosing out of the whole universe of stocks that they could choose, they're picking and choosing which stocks that they want based on, you know, their own forecast and predictions or some forecast and prediction of some analyst that they're following. The problem is nobody knows the future. So if you don't know the future, what what could be your alternative? Instead of saying, well, there's, you know, X amount of companies Let's just say there's a thousand companies in this one area. Would you rather own the thousand companies that you could own in that one area? Or would you say, I trust some analyst, some advisor, some guru to pick the best 200 out of the thousand? But that's essentially what you're saying when you choose a mutual fund or an index fund, if it's not based on, say, for example, like an index, okay? We've talked about that in the past, but basically an index is tracking what a whole area of the market does. So there can be mutual funds and ETFs that are based on the full index, and there's still some issues around that because of how those stocks are weighted in the index. And we've talked about that in the past, and certainly if you want to understand um, why we take a stance that the way those indexes are weighted are not in alignment with an, you know, for us, we follow Nobel Prize winning academic research from the works of people like Harry Markowitz and Eugene Fama, Ken French, William Sharp, and, and we look at their research and we utilize that in when we build a mutual fund that's following kind of like an index, but we're going to weight it the way that academia, the way that science says, like, this is where the higher premiums historically have come from. So there's how these funds, how these um, ETFs are created that's going to make a big difference just because it's um, an ETF doesn't make it bad just because it's a mutual fund doesn't make it bad. It's how is that, who's choosing the investments and how are they being chosen? How are they being weighted that we want to consider? But for investors, most of them don't have anything to compare to. They don't understand. They will think, okay, if I get an index fund, then I own everything in the index. It's good. But then, you know, you've heard my podcast before, or I'll just say it again if this is your first time. You know, the S&P 500, people will think I'm diversified. That's the U.S. large category, right? It's the largest 500 stocks in the U.S. based on capitalization. And all that capitalization means is how much is the price of the stock times how many shares are out in the market. And that gives a market cap number. And so a large amount, a large, I'm not going to give specific numbers here just because of compliance reasons. You can go look it up yourself. Um, A large percentage of the holdings are in a very few amount of stocks. They're in some of the largest companies, the ones we know, the ones we hear of all the time, and a large percentage is in there. And then for all the rest of the stocks is 
uh, smaller percentages or fractions of percents. So while I think I'm so diversified because I have the S&P 500, you can consider that diversification if you want to. But then again, just looking at the universe of uh, stocks that are available, they're not equally held, right? You don't have like 1% in each stock or 5% in each stock. It's, it's different, right? And then U.S. large isn't the only market in which we can invest in. In fact, there are many other asset categories that you could choose from that may have, I'm using compliance words here because doing a podcast I'm finding for compliance purposes is very difficult because we cannot sound promissory. I can't give you numbers. I have to be very general. So I'm going to try to make my point as best as I can without getting ourselves in trouble here. You can do the research on your own if you want, but I'm going to use general information, uh, verbiage here. So there are other markets that you could invest in that may have <laughs> fared better than the S&P, for example, during 2000 to 2010. And you can go do your own research or you can actually sign up for one of our master classes because the purpose of Smart Plan Investing, which is the firm in which I work for, is for us to train and develop investors so that they are empowered around their money in their American dream. If you're not sure if you should be holding on to this stock or group of stocks that you inherited or were gifted to you, if you're not sure if you should be investing in your employer stock or holding on to an old employer stock, if you have concerns about capital gains and how to diversify your portfolio, then you know we're available for you to, sh- to discuss these conversations with us. That's what we're here for. At Smart Plan Investing, we do host monthly master classes on various topics coming from an academic approach to investing. Much of the content is going to be backed by Nobel Prize winning research. And we do have an event. It's called the American Dream Experience. And if you just stay tuned at the end of this podcast, you'll get all the information of how you can contact us about getting signed up and registered for any one of these events. So thank you for listening to today's podcast. And don't forget to share this with everyone you know, because so many investors are doing these, in my opinion, destructive behaviors, and they don't have to. Thanks for listening to this episode of Uncommon Sense. Until next time, stay savvy and be blessed. Hi, this is Jennifer Foster. I hope that you enjoyed today's edition of Uncommon Sense. Do you want to learn more about what we do? Visit us on the web at www.smartplaninvesting.com. While there, don't forget to click on the American Dream tab to explore even more. You can find our schedule of events by choosing the Our Process tab at the top of the page. From there, you're going to choose Coaching, and that will take you to the page to see all of our upcoming events. Also, under the Our Process tab, if you would like to take advantage of a 15-minute complimentary discovery call, just choose the button below Coaching that says Consulting, and that will take you to our online calendar, and you can schedule a complimentary 15-minute discovery call with any one of our coaches. You can follow Smart Plan Investing also on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. 
The American dream is the belief that anyone, regardless of where they were born or what class they were born into, that they can attain their own version of success in a society where upward mobility is possible for everyone. The American dream is achieved through sacrifice, risk-taking, and hard work, rather than by chance. However, I believe that there are real dangers that can threaten our dreams, and at the American Dream Experience, we have the opportunity to discover these dangers and implement a strategy to avoid these pitfalls. Your dreams matter. Join us for an upcoming American Dream Experience, either virtually or live, for an opportunity for a transformation. Have you discovered your true purpose for money, your American dream, and your life? Let's create it together. Contact our team to find out more about registering for our next live or virtual event. You can contact us at info at smartplaninvesting.com or by calling us at 561-744-9516. Until next time, remember, I believe we all need a little uncommon sense a perspective that we may have not considered before because informed investors tend to be more confident investors and I believe confidence can lead to success. Advisory services offered through Smart Plan Investing Inc., a multiple state registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to give specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult a financial advisor. SmartPlan Investing does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.